2: This podcast has mature content and language that may not be appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 5, If Need Be After my relationship with Zach ended, I realized that I didn't just need to share my whole story with someone. I was ready to share my emotions. My needs are a big part of who I am. When I actually looked at what I was sacrificing to be this cool girl that someone would want to date, I realized that the cool girl wasn't real at all, and I wanted to be real. But that's scary. After doing all this work trying to find acceptance for my identity, what if my emotions get me rejected? That terrified me. I'm Emmy, and this is Crumbs, my love story. It's a show about the things we settle for and the bits of ourselves that make us who we are. Emmy, 28, opinionated foodie and adventurer, looking for a relationship. After Zach, I spent a lot of time on dating apps, and I'm trying to practice voicing my needs. So as I'm swiping and swiping through these profiles, I'm trying to imagine if I can have a deep connection or a deep, meaningful conversation with these people and not just notice if they're fuckable or not. Wondering if I can be vulnerable with them, I don't know what clue I'm really looking for exactly. So I'm back on Tinder and I see, you know, I'm swiping, swiping, swiping. And I see this guy and he's dressed in black. He's got a goatee. He's tall, dirty blonde hair in a man bun. He kind of looks like a Viking. He's so handsome. In all his pictures, he's got the sweetest smile. And he was just very sexy. And I swiped right. And as soon as I swiped right, it was like, it's a match. So this guy's name was Max. And he immediately asked me out on a date. He told me he wanted to get Mexican food. Bold move. I mean, I'm Mexican. And my standards for Mexican food are pretty damn high. Well, he works in the restaurant business and he did choose well. So I'm driving to the restaurant, I'm really excited, and I'm stupidly texting my friend about how excited I was for this date. But there was a guy walking in front of me, so I pump on my brakes, guy looks startled. I look at him, we make eye contact, and it's Max, my date. He turned it into a joke, thank God. And that just made the date feel like we were friends, like we've been friends for a really long time. We were at that comfort level where I felt comfortable, like, putting my fork on his enchilada. And, it's, <laughs> you know, we just had a good conversation. He asked deep, meaningful questions. Said really smart, insightful things about mental health. And both being in recovery. Max came off as a smart guy who had his shit together. He worked for a fancy pizza restaurant with locations all over the world. And he said all these amazing things about me being myself and facing adversity. It was seriously like the perfect date. And so we talk about setting up a second date. But he's opening up a restaurant, I don't know where, so it has to wait till he gets back. So weeks pass by, and I don't hear from him. I'm like, okay, maybe I should reach out to him. But, like, at what point is it too much, right? So I just texted him, and, you know, he replied very short answers. And then he replied the next thing. He's like, I'm so sorry, I was so swamped at work yesterday. And da, 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 da. I'm like, no worries, you know, all good. He's like, we'll figure out, like, a date for for dinner or something, I think about a month passed by and I didn't hear from him. So I'm at this place where I've already made a decision that I have to be more vocal of my needs, of what I really want. And I like Max. I felt like I needed to talk to him. And the day came when I got up the courage. It was his sobriety birthday, the same day as a friend of mine. So I start texting, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to call him. I don't know where I got that bright idea, because that's not my MO. Like, I'm a text person. But I thought it would be more personal. My heart's beating so fast. It's like, boom, 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 boom. And it goes straight to voicemail.
0: At the end of your message, press 1.
2: Hey, handsome. Emmy, I just wanted to call and say happy birthday. Congratulations on 60 years of sobriety. Um, That's an awesome milestone, and I hope you have a great day. And I hang up. Oh my God, what did I just do? Is he going to think I'm clingy? Did, Did I just make a fool out of myself? Fuck! I tried to forget about it. I only had to wait one day. And then I got a text. Hey, Emmy, thank you so much for the birthday wishes. That was really, really nice of you. I'm actually not in the country. I'm opening up a restaurant in Asia, but I'd love to see you when I get back. You guys can't see my face, but I'm like excited. You know, I'm like feeling like giddy just reliving the experience I was like okay you know it's on again and it's like I was right Max is a nice guy we start texting again and we start following each other on Instagram and I see his stories he sees my stories it's like we got an eye on each other So I'm waiting around for this second date. I feel like I'm going crazy because I'm texting him and then I'm not getting a reply and I'm obsessing over that thought. Like, he doesn't like me anymore. And like, you know, these thoughts of like not enoughness start creeping up. So there's ups and downs and I get this adrenaline rush when I hear from him and then it stops and then I get a one-word answer and I'm like, what the hell does that mean? What is he saying? It's like, it's crazy. Because when it's up, it's up. But when it's down... It's really down. Like, this is insane. Why do I have to walk around with this discomfort? This doubt? This obsession? I treat dating like a drug. Waiting for a text like I'm waiting for a hit. I got so excited when I found somebody that I clicked with. Who seemed to accept me for me. Who encouraged me to be me. Each text from him is a high. But when the text back doesn't come, my self-esteem just evaporates. My mind goes straight to all the things that I've struggled to accept about myself. So just sitting alone with my phone and my thoughts is not good. But as bad as the back and forth with Max was, it was still better than what I went through when I first transitioned, when I was trying to find the right dating scene. Online dating was becoming a problem. But early on, I didn't even know where to start.
1: In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sareb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching The Furthest Thing from the Truth. On this exclusive episode of Murder Homes,
2: when I first started my transition I had met a girl at the clinic where I would go get my hormones and this girl was very friendly and I felt like okay here's my first trans woman friend she had been in her transition for longer than I had and she was kind of showing me the ropes kind of in terms of where to go out she invited me to these parties called the pink parties I think they were held once a month in this, like, kind of old office space. It wasn't a very nice place, it wasn't decorated like a bar or like a club or anything. They would just turn off the lights, put on some DJ lights and, and have a good time. And this was a place where a lot of trans women would just come together. So I remember my first time that I walked into this party, I was so nervous. Right? I remember just circling around the block and just contemplating whether I wanted to be a part of this or not. This was my first like real outing in transition, so I wasn't sure what to expect. When I walked into this pink party and started meeting some of the other girls in the trans community, I felt like a sense of community. No, that's not true. I felt this sense of a potential community because when I walked in, I didn't feel warm and fuzzy. I actually felt really intimidated because you had like these gorgeous women just standing around and I felt like I was lost, right? I didn't look anything like them. Like I was in the beginning stages of my transition and I just started like always comparing myself. I remember these two girls walked in at one point and they walked straight into the bar. They looked so perfect. They looked like Barbies. They had like this porcelain skin, this like long, beautiful hair, beautiful breasts, small waist, big butt. When I saw these women, I was like, I wanted to look like them because when they walked in, everyone's head just turned. I started building this false idea of what I had to look like. a warped frame of mind in which I thought that that's what beauty looked like, right? And all I wanted in my entire life was just to be beautiful and to be seen as a beautiful woman. So when I was introduced to them, I was just, you know, very shy and very quiet. They were nice, but they weren't, like, engaging with me. They weren't dying till I get to know me. You know, I had my one friend who was super cool and super friendly and You know, I guess that was enough for me at the time. Everyone's having a good time, they're dancing, they're drinking, and I just want to be a part of this. These are women that I can be friends with and hang out with and learn from. And then all of a sudden men started showing up. They would just like walk around and look at the girls and just, you know, give them that head-to-toe look. The energy totally shifted when the men came into the to the party. I don't even know how to describe the way like some men look at you. Just automatically makes you feel like so objectified and a fetish. And that wasn't something I experienced before transition. So this was very new to me. Eventually, somebody approached me and they're like, hey, what's your name? Um, Where are you from? What are you doing tonight? Who are you here with? I'm still very uncomfortable in my own skin because I'm comparing myself to every beautiful woman that's around me. And I don't feel like I look like them. And I just feel like very uncomfortable and I don't want to talk to guys. like I'm not ready for this. So when this man approached me and started talking to me and asking me questions, I remember just feeling cornered and so uncomfortable. I'm not really attracted to this man. Like he's taking an interest in me. What if he wants to buy me a drink? I don't drink. Um, What if he wants to go home with me? I'm not ready for that. And then he asked, So what's your donation rate? And I'm like, what? What do you mean? He's like, well, how much do you charge? And I was like, I don't charge anything. (laughs) And then I realized that that sounded like really stupid. But I wasn't there for sex work. I was there to find a community and have a good time. But this man thought I was a sex worker. Why? Maybe because I was standing alone in, in a corner. I don't know. It just felt like this bubble had burst. I just wanted to go home. It became very clear to me that this was not a place where men come to find a genuine connection with a trans woman. No, no sorry. This was a place where men would come specifically to hook up with trans women. This room was a complete fetishization room. I wanted to be seen as a beautiful woman. And in that room, that's not how I felt at all. I wanted to try flirting. I wanted to have that sense of validation and I wanted to be admired because that wasn't happening in my regular world. I went to one other pink party and then I started going out to other bars that trans women frequented. There was a specific bar in San Diego that is known to be a bar where, you know, trans women go. And it's a little hole-in-the-wall bar that smells like piss and alcohol. Like, the vibe is just like, let's hook up. That's the vibe that you get as soon as you walk in. So, you know, I'm at this bar, and... This cute guy comes up to me and starts talking to me. And I, you know, tell him my name. He offers to buy me a drink. I take a Diet Coke. And we're just, like, talking. We're getting to know each other. And he is cute, so, like, if he has to go home with me, I'm going to take him home with me. Sure enough, he says, should we go back to your place? We drive separately back to my house. I go into my apartment, I take my high heels off, and he knocks on the door. I open the door, and he comes in. He has a backpack with him. And I was like, okay. I hope he doesn't think he's spending the night, because that's not going to happen. So then, you know, we start talking, and all of a sudden, he's, like, starting to feel me up, and we make out a little bit. And all of a sudden, he said, I want to show you something. I was like, okay. He's like, I'll be right back. He goes into the restroom with his backpack. When he comes out, he stands in the doorway and he's wearing these big, shiny, patent leather boots and he's holding a whip. My reaction was to sort of laugh. <laughs> like, I've never seen anything like this before. And he's like, get on your knees and fucking lick my boots. Then he walks over to me with this scary look in his eyes. Then he starts telling me these really scary stories in my ear about violence and murder. I'm just like, I want you to leave. And he's like, aren't you having fun? And I said, no, I'm not having fun. You know, I had to like literally get him out of my apartment because he scared me. What about me made him think that he could act out this weird kink with me? He never asked me. I never indicated that I was into it. I felt like what I wanted didn't really matter. That was the last time that I went to that bar. So I thought, maybe I can protect myself better online. But then, you know, I got on a dating site. It wasn't too long before I would get the messages from guys. You know, like, Hey, first timer here looking to experiment. First timer who's curious. Or, are you discreet? I hooked up with some guys that I've met online. And sometimes... It felt good to be with them. But other times, it felt really crappy. Especially when they left. Like, it was done and I was just, like, used. And it was over and I'd never hear from them again. I'm looking for community. I want to, like, fit in somewhere. And the price I have to pay for this community is being hypersexualized and seen as a fetish seen as a taboo, it puts me in this place of, like, I'm only good for this, right? I'm only good for sex. I'm only good to fulfill, like, this man's fetish and fantasy. They're not really, like, getting to know Emmy. Like, they give a fuck what my name is. But where is a safe space for me? Where can I go to let my guard down a little bit and find myself? It felt like there was nowhere for me. My self-esteem was totally dependent on people who didn't even care who I was. It only really changed for me over time as I got further in my transition. When I looked in the mirror and saw someone that I recognized, I felt like I could stand up for that person. I could say what I wanted. But no matter how strong I try to make myself, my self-esteem feels fragile.
1: In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all, the hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sareb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP.
4: They held us in
0: dog cages. They starved us. They beat us.
4: They burned us and subject us to really horrible uh, cruel and unusual punishment after my personal
0: experience at provo canyon school i was shocked to learn that a man named robert litchfield a man who got his start at the school that i went to would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire
1: he was trying to brand us so we were going to become the mcdonald's in treatment
0: the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools
1: they prey on
2: So here's why I'm telling you about Max. Because in lots of ways, I was in this place where I felt stronger, bolder. I gave myself permission to have needs. But in other ways, I was just so dependent on Max's interest in me. He's left me on this, like, cycle of, like, I mean, he's kind of ghosted me a few times. Yet his text message comes in and I'm still excited to hear from him. Right, that I don't even have negative thoughts about him ghosting me. And Max kept confusing me. He texted me after weeks of silence about that second date. And he finally fucking set a date. So we get to the restaurant that I chose. And it's a really nice restaurant. We're sitting outdoors. There's like, you know, fire going next to us. And he just starts asking me about life, right? And I ask him, like, hey, I have a question for you. He's like, what's up? And I asked him, so I know that going out with a woman who's transgender was not something that was on your radar. Why did you decide to go on a date with me? And he looked at me, he's like, I just saw you as, you know, a beautiful woman and I, I guess I've always been attracted to like people who have like adversities, who overcome adversities. And we just started talking about, you know, my journey as a trans woman. He's so interested in like the social stigmas that I faced. So that was really encouraging, you know, after all these ups and downs, it seemed like it was finally like on a positive. So While the waitress goes and gets the check, I excuse myself to go to the restroom, and I pull the waitress over to the side. I'm like, I give her my credit card. I'm like, here, like, I want to pay for it. He gets kind of awkward when he finds out. Like, maybe he's joking about being mad at me, maybe not. I mean, it was a sobriety birthday dinner, and it just felt like a good idea. I think he was touched. He was acting suit when he took me home. So we get to my apartment, and then he just starts with small conversation. He asks me, like, my apartment's like and how long I've been living here. And I'm like, are those cues that he wants to come in and look at my apartment? I didn't know. I couldn't figure it out. Like, if I would have invited him to come in, would he have taken that the wrong way and think that I was, like, I don't know, trying to get in bed with him. I didn't want to risk it. Like, I didn't want to fuck this up. So I just said goodbye. And, you know, he leaned over. He gave me a kiss on the cheek. I gave him a kiss on the cheek. Big hug. And he said, I'll talk to you soon. So one extra thing here. I noticed that this stranger, this girl from Long Beach had been watching my Instagram stories for a few weeks in a row. And the only thing we had in common was that Max followed her. So I obviously started getting really curious. And of course I start reading into it, right? I start thinking of every possible scenario. Does Max have a girlfriend? Are they just hooking up? Or is this a jealous ex who's stalking him? I had never seen her on any of his posts or any of his stories I could have just kept worrying about it forever but after this amazing date I felt like I deserved to not be anxious about it so I texted Max hey do you know this girl? I don't know who she is but for some reason she keeps looking at my stories and I noticed you follow her Like, who is this? No reply. I didn't hear from Max again. Like, ever. How did I fuck this up? By asking him who this chick was? Did that make him think that I was crazy? Was he turned off by this? Was he turned off because I paid for dinner? Did he feel that that emasculated him? What did I do wrong? What did I do that turned him off to the idea of dating me? I thought that I was communicating. I thought I could express myself freely without judgment. I felt like he had given me that permission to just be myself, trans and all. And so when I start being my authentic self and embracing my identity, I, I'm i vocal about what I'm thinking and feeling. And then it was like, oh, never mind. I didn't like that. I felt insecure all over again. So for a long time, I kept replaying like each scenario in my head and just really, you know, analyzing every text that I had sent him, every conversation that we had, just to see where it is that I had gone wrong that turned him off, right? And I was looking for my faults when in reality there's nothing wrong with me. There have to be relationships out there where expressing myself leads to less insecurity and not more where my full needs are embraced, where I'm not disregarded or ignored because I have feelings or boundaries. There are relationships out there where I can feel wanted or desired without being fetishized, where I'm not just accepted as a whole person, but treated like one. That requires a lot of respect from the other person and respect for myself. To be honest there's only one person in my life that's made me feel that way and you haven't met him yet. Crumbs is a production of iHeartRadio's My Cultura Podcast Network and Sonoro in association with Trojan Horse. It's produced by Margaret Catcher and Carmen Graterol and edited by Jasmine Romero and Alex Fumero. Original music by Daniel Peterschmidt and engineering by Manuel Parra and Daniel Padilla. Executive produced by Giselle Bancès and Connell Byrne for iHeart, Alex Fumero for Trojan Horse, Joshua Weinstein, Jasmine Romero, Camila Vitoriano, and Jerónimo Ávila for Sonoro, and me, Emi Olea. Special thanks to Monisa Henricks, Fernanda Estrada, and Sara Mota. Listen to Crumbs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.